Experience life with your full mind, body, and spirit. Set sail and set course, navigating all obstacles that emerge. Embrace each experience and continually add navigational tools to your journey of life toolbox. When you do, you are truly leading and living. So, Tim, can I quiz you on our, our opening quote? Please. Today, who wrote mm. that? Mm. Pema Chandran? <laughs> no, I think that, <laughs> that was, was last, last week. episode. Last episode. No. Um, I do I can know. give you some hints. Yeah. I know, but give me some hints. Well, she's a, she's a master coach. Yep. She's an international speaker and mm. author. She's over two decades of leadership experience mm. and now she uses principles of emotional intelligence to help leaders define uh, an action-oriented plan toward well-being happiness productivity and success she she says hope is not a strategy oh um, and we had manifest- many <laughs> of those oh moments yeah. with with our guest this uh, is our guest today yeah mm-hmm. Rhonda Williams Rhonda Williams. What a delight she was. It was such a fun conversation. And it's actually, so as we've been doing these interviews in season four, um, I had to think for a minute there what season we were on, but uh, a new thing for us, usually it's just us talking. And up to now, the interviews we've done have been people we've known fairly well, one or the other Mm -hmm. of us, uh, or at least known before. This was the first time we've ever had a conversation with, with our guests so yeah. it was pretty fun of course not knowing what was going to happen or where it was going to go which that sounds like my idea of a good time right. um <laughs> interesting we know her very well now it it sure feels like isn't that interesting i hadn't thought about yeah. that i we think i haven't known her long but i think it speaks to sort of the authenticity she brings yeah and sort of the openness and one of the the focuses foci of of what she's doing so so having served at the c-suite level herself she's really now committed to to helping women of color ascend to executive c-suite and board level roles and positions mm-hmm. i'm so excited to share this conversation with with our listeners i'm excited too and i think i think we should listen to that emotion and go ahead and share it. So everybody, mm. here is Rhonda Williams. Well, Rhonda Williams, welcome to Psychology at Work. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Casey and Tim. I am excited to be here with you. Looking forward yeah. to it. We usually start just by asking folks the big open-ended question. Yeah. Who are you? How much time you got, Casey? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's so interesting. So when I just think about it from a broad sort of perspective of who I am, I, um, I identify myself as a mom, um, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Okay. Um, so are you a Vikings fan? Well, Tim <laughs> would identify more purely as that. I, I'm a fair weather. All I think of is the 2019 NFC championship game. And I start oh. twitching. 
advice. You made me think about it. No. <laughs> strategy uh, uh, avoidance at all costs now so so I think of myself um, also as um, a leader um, and most of my career has been spent in leadership roles uh, one way or another um, I think of myself as a coach like I think of myself as this sort of multifaceted being right there are all of these puzzle pieces that are sometimes um shifting and moving and coming and going. So I think of myself as sort of um, an evolving being all all the time. Sort of there is no end point or arrival point. Mm-mm. No, I don't even know what that is. In fact, you know, people, people will ask me, so are you there yet? You know, sort of like the movie, are you there yet? And I'm yeah. like, are, am I where? What do you mean? Like, it's just, yeah, as soon as I get there, I'm going to the next place. So I don't really, yeah. <laughs> I love that. One of the things where I was interested is kind of hearing, learning about people's stories. And, sure. and, you know, maybe what were some things that influenced you? And, and so per your introduction of yourself, you know, coaching and leadership, certainly there's an emphasis on helping other people grow and develop who maybe had an influence on you in the way that you are having an impact on other people? You know, it's interesting. So um, when I look back at my career, um, I've had several people really influence um, the way that I approach leadership uh, in a way that I feel is um, very grounded, grounded, um, you know, um, approachable, um, sort of human, real, authentic um, I've had to learn to lean and then step into that a little bit more as I grew in my career. You know, when you're a young leader, you're a little more guarded. You're not sure even what the heck you're doing, let alone, you know, if you should tell everybody that you don't really know what you're doing. And so I've sort of grown into that. But I've had some amazing mentors in my career that I was able to learn from. You know, I recall one leader that I was always in awe. So I'm going to have to just give you a little bit of the backstory so that you sort of get this a little bit. I am um, a registered nurse by background. Oh, I don't know if you knew that. No. Um, Yeah. So I'm a registered nurse and um, I was, you know, sort of working the units, working the floors, doing my thing. And I had the most amazing uh, director of nursing at that time. She was just, I mean, when she came into the room, she was present. Everyone loved her. She was engaging. She was authentic. She was kind of folksy, right? And so she had this whole vibe going on. And I thought, man, she's a bit of a rock star, right? And so um, so I always looked up to her. As I started to think about leadership myself, she was so open. I would ask her questions. I would see her having stressful days. And I recall specifically one day saying to her, is this really worth it? <laughs> you know, I get, it looked a little stressed out for me. And she said to me, it's getting past being worth it for me. However, for you, it would be very worth it. Interesting. I know, right? I sort of <laughs> felt the same way. It was very, it was a powerful moment for me because I was thinking, gosh, she's even so good that she can live in two worlds, right? She's like, you know, my world's kind of moving on, but your world, where you are in your career and coming up, it's going to be very worth it for you. So, um, so I didn't think much more about it. I sort of did my thing. 
um, and had another mentor who was just a great people person. I'm an introvert by nature. So I was like totally awed by that. I'm like, look at this dude. Like he's out there. <laughs> he's all over. He's with the people. And I just want to be in my office, right? And doing my work with the head down kind of thing. Yep. Um, so they have been um, inspirational for me. Um, I've had leaders who had hard conversations with me, um, but doing it out of love and kindness and compassion. And so those are some of the leaders that have been most influential in my life. And some of the same characteristics I've tried to emulate as I went into my the upper levels of my leadership career, because I went on to become uh, a chief nursing officer, a hospital CEO. And so being able to recall some of those experiences were really powerful for me. You had said a word there in describing uh, your mentor. She was present. Mm-hmm. Say more about about that. What's that like? How do you know? Yeah, so presence is a really interesting skill, right? Because it is a skill. We all have busy lives. We've got dings, pings, things coming at us, yeah. all different ways, shapes, or forms. And so the act of being present is simply about uh, being, bring with your whole body, mind right? Your heart, just being there in that moment. Um, The interesting underlying concept of presence is, is to do so without judgment, right? And so you're not, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to blame anyone. You don't have to judge anyone. Just be there, right? You don't have to think about what you're doing for dinner and, and what you need to do at the grocery store. So just having the ability, which is why I say it's a skill, but it's an under, um, it's probably an undervalued skill, uh, the the ability to be present. I mean, you guys think about where you are in your life. How many times have someone told you that you should multitask, right? Yeah, you should, right. You should be able to do it all. And well, yeah, I can multitask it. I can type out this letter, mom, while I'm talking to you on the phone. You know what happens inevitably? I say, huh? huh? Yeah, exactly. What did you say, mom? And as if for some reason, that's the time for me to multitask, right? And then I have to apologize and get myself present. And I'm like, okay, you said, huh, like three times, you're not paying attention. Clearly, bring yourself back to the present moment. Yeah. And you got to rewrite the letter too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. I love that you brought up that idea of multitasking, Rhonda, because we talk about that a lot, how it's actually impossible for our brains to do it. Exactly. Can't do it. Mm -mm. You said another word sort of in that same idea that I wanted to follow up on too, which was love. Mm, yeah. How does that come into, you know, <laughs> we use that word a lot and, and not, I would say less so, but certainly when we started consulting to organizations, we would get a lot of pushback when we talked about love inside a business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. I can definitely imagine it's not a, So think about every business school, course, lesson, everything that you've ever heard about business and leadership for that matters. Where does love come in? So because it's not the norm, because it's not mainstream, we don't talk about it, right? And so therefore there's this huge gap between what we're trying to accomplish and the best way to accomplish it. I mean, Love that. honestly, the best way to accomplish things is to engage your people, to connect with them where they are, not to 
motivate them, but to inspire them, right? To lead them forward, role modeling, developing all of that through love. And so I think we're, as leaders, we're missing a huge opportunity to really go farther, faster when we do that. We can all relate to those moments and in, in people that are, that just rub us wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how have you loved them? How do you mm. get yourself there? So after, <laughs> so after I go through the initial brain of what's in my head initially, um, which is usually not very nice, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but then I can pull myself back um, pretty quickly. Here's how I do that. Um, number one, whatever I am feeling inside that's causing me to not feel like I love them probably has very little to do with me, right? It really has more to do with them than it does me because people who show up that way, it's like a symptom, right? But it's not the disease. So what's underneath of that? So I put myself in that space and I try to get to the place where I'm seeking understanding and trying to understand them a little bit more. Why are they um, behaving in this way? You know, do I have a role in it? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we have to be reflective and aware enough to step back and say, do I have a role in this? And is there anything that I can do on my part that would help this go differently? And once you do that, and once I do that, then I release it. Right. I'm not going to carry it around like I'm taking a trip to London. Right. In this big old suitcase. And I've got all this stuff in this suitcase that I'm carrying with me. I'm going to do the reflection, see if I can take the lessons and then I'm letting it go. If there's an opportunity for me to have conversations and I feel like they're open to that, I'll try to do that as well. Um, But sometimes we just have to understand that they are who they are and where they are. And it is not my role or responsibility to fix them. So. Mm. What can I do at that point if they are not um, willing to try to fix themselves or do take themselves to a better place um, where it's impacting people differently? Then I look for something to love, right? Do you have a doll? Do you have a, you know, what you got going on that I can, you know, there's something in them because people in themselves are usually not bad. It's their behaviors, right? It's the way they're showing up. There's something there that's positive. Find it, dig deep. Figure out what it is and hold on to that. I think, you know, as I'm listening to you, one of the things that's coming up for me is we find ourselves uh, at work, but also just societally, you know, so divided. So um, I I don't even have the words for it, but, you know, we're, we're, let's just be honest here. We're recording this the day after the United States Capitol was infiltrated. And, and, I think that idea, you know, many organizations are asking right now, and I'm sure in your work too, how do we have these conversations? How do we keep people engaged? Um, certainly in Minneapolis, in our backyard here, we had the George Floyd murder, which has sort of reinvigorated all kinds of DEI initiatives. How do we help organizations navigate these very difficult conversations? So I, I want to thank you for your willingness to even bring that up, right? Because it's so important. 
And honestly, we as leaders cannot pretend that this stuff is not going to seep into the workplace. Right. I'll give you my pet peeve right now is with LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, I love it. I love the platform. But yet everyone says, hey, this is politics. Leave it out. This is life. I'm sorry, but it's actually life and not politics. And you can't just separate the two. I get that you don't want to turn your organization into a political, you know, arena for those types of conversations. For me, this is personal. People are impacted. Oh, absolutely. This is my life. And so having to navigate these waters for me, um, I'm in a really comfortable space. Let me give you just a little bit more um, background for me. Yeah. I grew up in inner city Philadelphia when I was younger. Gosh, I don't know if we have enough time on this podcast, guys. We might have to do a part two, but anyway. We can schedule it today. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in inner city Philadelphia where everybody looked like me, Right. And my mom um, at the time was a single mom and she was determined. It just, it wasn't a good environment for us. And she was determined. She was like, we are leaving. We are moving out. So she moved us out to the suburbs. Well, being the ornery young child that I was, I thought she was trying to ruin my life. I was like, (laughs) what are you doing, woman? Right? So why did you do this to me? It felt like a doing this to me kind of thing. Uh, So much so that one year she wanted to give me a birthday party. I burst into tears and ran in my room. I was like, I'm going to Philly for the weekend. I I don't want to, I just, that was my getaway time. It was my time to reconnect with people who looked like me because in my classes, I was often the only black person in my classes, right? And so it was this whole understanding of the world that I didn't even really realize existed, right? And just trying to come to terms with that. So I relate Um, to what a lot of people are feeling on both sides. Uh, Having been through that, I have a lot of friends that don't look like me. I grew up in professional circles, running CEO circles, consultants, all of this. Many people don't look like me. But here's the thing. I am still who I am. And so if I can in some way help you understand what it's like to be me, or what it's like to live in this world from this perspective, I feel like that's a responsibility. Now, if you don't want to hear it and you're not open to that, I'm cool with that too, because I only want to help people that want to be helped. I don't want to beat my head against the wall and help people that are not interested in hearing this. So I do think where we are right now in our country um, is a challenging time and organizations have the opportunity not to fix it. I don't think that's our role. We're not trying to fix this. We are simply giving people space to be human and to share how these situations are impacting them as people, as human beings. With the George Floyd and all of these other events, I have three adult sons. Each and every one of them, and I will be completely honest and transparent here, 2020 changed me. It did. Honestly, I had a I had a different focus before. I was working on on some other things. I shifted my focus towards the end of 2020 and said, I've got to help bring this conversation forward. I I feel called to do that. And I just have to lean into it now. Again, with transparency, it's a little scary, right? Because it's not where I've been. And people, that's not really what people are used to seeing from me. But I'm hoping that I can bring a an authenticity, a compassion, 
of respect to the conversation and honoring where people are and meeting them there in the way that allows us to move these conversations forward. So as a leader, I believe that's our, our roles at this time. Hmm. I'm not going to say this well. I loved the, our job isn't to fix it, but to create a space to allow people to be human. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I love that. And when you think about these conversations from that lens, and then you hear what you had mentioned, you know, about sentiments on LinkedIn and it, that's not just LinkedIn, but, but this, we're not going to bring that in here. Mm-hmm. We're going to deny it. It's, it's almost a, a privilege to be able to say, no, I'm not going to look at it. Yes. And, and when you hear it from the lens you're talking about, it's a denial of your experience though. Mm-hmm. You don't get to bring all of you in here. Wow. And it's an, it's using the privilege or the power to say, we don't get to talk about this in a, in a really dismissive way that I think the impact of that is much bigger than people realize. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think you do have it. I think that's I think that's exactly it. And and I get it, right? I, I get it. I've been in those circles and I understand that these are uncomfortable times and uncomfortable conversations. But what are leaders called to do? We've got to step up. We've got to step up and lead, right? Avoidance in that case is not a strategy, right? I may avoid some other things, like going to Minnesota in the wintertime would be a case where I would have been. <laughs> however, however, it's not that not bad. Place. <laughs> you had said the di- there's a difference between inspiration and motivation. If you say more about that, yeah. So for me. Um, motivation is an external force that's pushing you towards something, right? Um, it is, gosh, I'm motivated to go to work because I need a paycheck, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's kind of motivation where there's this carrot over there and you're like, I'm not going to get the carrot if I don't go, if I don't do X, Y, and Z. So that's kind of how I think of motivation, Um, In the workplace, as a leader, you know, people are motivated to do a lot of things. They might be motivated to follow you because you have a title, right? And they know that their roles and their their livelihood might be at risk if they don't do that. So they'll do it. But are you going to get the fullness of them? Are you going to get all of them? Probably not. The way to get there is to inspire And how do you do that? It's basically you're tapping into something inside of them. You're triggering the fire that's already there and burning. What excites them? What what do they get jazzed about? If you can tap into that, then they want to do the thing that you want them to do, right? Because you've tapped into that inspiring place. Um, And so for me, that's a little bit about motivation and inspiration, even for myself personally, When I find myself struggling to do something, it's often because it's sort of a motivation thing, right? Because it's kind of like, oh, you really need to do this, you know, because you need to, because you're supposed to, because somebody told you you have to do this, right? And so it's that kind of thing. But then I'm dragging my feet and I'm procrastinating and I'm putting it off and that sort of thing. So there's one other thing I want to add um, to this. When we think of motivation, people often feel like there's a lack of motivation, 
um, in many respects. Like, you know, um, you may tell your team that, you know, there's a lack of motivation. Maybe I need to give you bonuses or whatever that is. But I'll say this, and this is just my belief, and I would love to hear how you guys feel about this. I don't ever think there's a lack of motivation. I think people are simply motivated to do what they want to do. And it might be a lack of motivation to do what you want them to do, but they really, there really is no lack of like motivation and, and, and uh, all of that. It's coming from outside all the time. It's an abundance, right? So there's no lack of it. You just have to simply figure out where your motivation is and what's going to hit that turbo boost button for you. That's going to get you to move. What I am hearing in it is motivation is like getting something. And I'll do X, Y to get it. But when you talk about inspiration, it's almost something gets turned on Mm -hmm. inside of me. And it's actually about giving. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's just the way I was listening to you or or what you were saying, you know, the whole person. And and I want to bring my whole self into this. Mm -hmm. And when that that's inspiring. We stop being focused on self, right? And what is it? What what do I get? It's real nerdy, but as I'm listening yes. to you both, well, look at all your degrees back there. <laughs> that on well, it makes me. <laughs> what you're talking about is is sort of a real time applica- a real life application of of Hertzberg's two factor theory, which is we have hygiene factors, which mm-hmm. are these basically these things are talking about external, you know, pay benefits, but they don't really drive engagement. Right. You know, you need to have enough, Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's the deeper stuff. And I'm, it's escaping me at this moment, what those are classified as, but it's that meaning it's that responsibility, that deeper sense of purpose, if you will, Mm -hmm. that's getting impacted. That is, that's the thing that when leaders focus on cultivating those things, that they can really move the dial. Absolutely. Because we all have those things, right? And and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And so I think some organizations really get caught up in, well, we can't, you know, do X, Y, and Z because we don't have the budget for it. How much does it take to talk with your team member to (laughs) say, what, what floats your boat? Like, what about what's really what? And you know what they're likely to say? Well, I want to lead a project. I want to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. It's those things that test their skill. It's challenging for them. They feel valued. They feel respected. They feel like true contributors and partners on the team. It's those things that really drive and motivate them or inspire them to do the things to make the big, you know, the big splash that your team can benefit from. Isn't that fascinating, Rhonda, how that is, that default response from so many leaders? Well, we don't have the resources to do all that stuff. So we have to figure out a way to pay people more or expand their benefits. It's like, well, wait a minute. The other way actually doesn't really cost you anything more. <laughs> other, other other than your own comfort. Exactly. That's what it comes down to. I don't know how to have those conversations. Yes, for sure. You know, I've been working on... Um, promoting a theory of the stress-free culture. Yeah. And really looking at and trying to develop ways for organizations to 
um, sort of systematically and strategically, because that's what works, right, And for the team, yeah. um, to approach creating a stress-free culture. One of the things I'm finding I'm having to define really clearly is what that means, right? It doesn't mean that we're all kicked back with our feet up on the desk. That's not a stress-free culture. You know, that's some person who doesn't probably have a good work ethic and is lazy and probably should be on your team, <laughs> right? So there's a difference, but creating a stress-free culture is, again, it's environment, it's space, it's what are you doing as an organization? So there's two parts of stress, the way that I think about it. One is your own stress and just you as a human. How are you thinking, processing, managing, all of that? Because those are stressors that you control. But then there are stressors in the environment. And what are the environmental stressors that organizations can say, hmm, this is an opportunity for us to do better here for our team. And there are some of those. I'll give you the one that's always, um, uh, it always comes to mind really easily for me is we all have cell phones, right? So what happens with the cell phone? Well, you have leaders pinging their people, texting people 10 p.m. at night, you know, oh, hey, what do you think about this and that? Just because we can, just like, well, just because I have a cell phone doesn't mean I want to be, quote, working 24-7. Yeah. That's not the purpose of my cell phone. Like, I should still be able to get off work and spend time with my family. This is where why this is such a passion point for me. So as a CNO and a CEO, I found that I was constantly on, right, on yeah. call, on duty, so I recall vividly one day um, with my husband, well, my ex-husband now, um, and that's okay. That's Perfect. another episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were um, we were playing pool, right? We've always had a pool table. When Eagles games comes on, we would, you know, eat too much food. We'd play pool. We'd have fun. We were playing pool one weekend, and I started getting all these calls and texts from work. And the look on his face was just kind of like the moment's ruined, right? It's ruined because now my head's not there, right? So when someone says, well, it's just a tax, no. It's a shifting of my focus and it takes me out of the ability to be present with my family. I don't care if we're doing nothing but sitting down eating bonbons. That's still their time. They deserve that from me. And when I'm at work, Here's the other side of it, right? He would get frustrated with me because when I was at work, I'm like, listen, I'm focused. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, have a, I have a lot on my plate, a lot to do. And so I'm focused there. But then when mm. I get home, I don't get to give the same thing back. Those are easy things organizations can do because it is a culture. Yeah. If your leader is texting you at 10 p.m., you think that's okay. That's the yeah. norm. So yeah, I'm going to text my staff now at 10 p.m. because it, it's what we do around here. And you're a leader and you should just deal with it because, hey, leadership is hard. No, right? That's a whole paradigm shift. And you guys, I am like on a journey. I'm like, people, <laughs> we need to cut that out. I think that would be a welcomed uh, intervention for a lot of people. Uh, I, yeah. I listen and I just can't help but hear the double standard in it. That was That's what struck me. When yeah. you're at work... You don't get interruptions. You don't get to have them. Right. When you're at home, I get to interrupt you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hello. And it's implied, but it's reinforced. 
over and over. So it sounds ridiculous when you say it Mm -hmm. and it is, but that's, that's, I wonder like, that's the stress that's felt is the ridiculousness of that double standard Mm -hmm. that isn't made explicit or, or the lights aren't turned on to it. And it's not, Hmm. it's not hard. It's simply a level of awareness. So this is where my work flows into emotional intelligence. Again, guys, show two. We don't have time, right? But this is where what I use to pull all of this together is emotional intelligence, right? And so when that flows under the surface, then we can go to the awareness. Then we can go with your behavior and your self-management and your organization and team management. Then we can go to the impact on the team of our behaviors in terms of the social awareness and are we showing empathy and compassion, you know, i.e. giving people space to have these conversations, right? Then we can go to the relationship management side of inspiring and, you know, helping to build the team up and give them opportunities to really take ownership and all of those things. And so for me, emotional intelligence floats under the surface. So when I'm working with leaders, that's what I'm using as sort of my foundation is emotional intelligence. But here's what the the cool thing for leaders when they're working with me, they don't have to know and feel that we we don't have to talk about emotional intelligence all day. I'm just going to build it into what we're doing. We're going to make it practical. We're going to make it real. And as we do that along the way, now, by the time you leave me, you're going to know how to walk into your executive's office and say, hey, I want to be an executive. I'm putting my name on the list. I'm showing up. Here's why I want it. Here's what I'm now. I realize I've got to do the work, but I'm, I'm putting that out there because I have been on this team and I feel like I can contribute more. And here's how I want to do that. Right. So I teach them to have the confidence because when we want to apply for executive positions, we want to do it quietly. Shh, don't tell And then we wonder why we keep getting passed over, right? Because we're not confident enough to go into that office and say, hey, this looks amazing to me. Here's how I think I can add value. Now, I've got to do my work. I'm willing to put in the effort to do that. Um, I want to know from you, what would you like to see me do in order to get to this position? What do you think I should be focused on? Right? That's a whole different ballgame. So that and then coaching organizations to, to look at your structure, your environment in an emotionally intelligent way, reduce the stress on your leaders. And so, you know, and then the leader gets the result of having less stress, feeling empowered. And I think it's just a win-win. I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. You know, emotional intelligence is, it's, it's one of those things I think that sometimes is, that term is used a lot, but people don't know how to put it into play or action or what, and it sounds like you're really helping people understand what does this look like practically? Right. Um, So uh, unfortunately our time is going way too fast and and we, we we will likely ask you for more time in another episode. I'm, I'm thinking, but we, we, we end our, our conversations with three questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. And you don't get to plead the fifth on any of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> first one, Rhonda, what's your truth? Hmm. My truth is that I'm a compl- complex and imperfect being. However, I think that makes me an amazing leader. I think that helps me be able to share my gift authentically with others and add value and service to all of those that I serve. What does courage mean to you? 
So courage for me is the ability to feel and recognize the fears that are going on at any given moment in time that you have and to be able to move through that, right? So it's not the absence of fear. It is understanding that there are fears and you can still do X, Y, and Z, even if it's not perfect, but you can do it and go, yay, I did it. It's okay. So for me, that's really what courage is about is being able to move through those fears and still do it anyway. Love that. Final question. What's your hope? Mm. My hope is that we are able to get to a community, a society where we are willing to seek first understanding before being understood, right? And there's that famous quote, and I can never figure out who said it. So it is a famous quote. It didn't come from me, but seek first to be understood. Yeah. And then seek understanding because that allows you to listen. That allows you to really pay attention to what you're hearing, both that's being spoken and unspoken, right? And then you can move in that way and figure out, gosh, okay, so now how can we create unity and alignment and moving together? And this isn't about winning, right? This is our shared humanity that we are bringing to the forefront and to the surface. Awesome. Rhonda Williams, thank you so much for thank taking you. some time to visit with us. Where can our listeners find you if they, if they want to learn more about you? And we'll put in the show notes stuff too, but what would be helpful for you to share with them? Sure. So um, they can go to the web, my website at thestressfreeleader.net. But if there are leaders out there who are stressed and really not sure how to handle that, um, I have a free ebook that I wrote that talks about the different ways we show up stressed and it's different, right? And so the way that you move through that is different based on how you are showing up. So you can get that at stressfreeleaders.com. Awesome. And we'll put all of that in the show notes so folks can find that. Uh, And hopefully we will talk again soon. Okay, so before we end, I just have to say, I may have to have you guys on my show. So we would love to. We would love to. um, (laughs) It's fun and live. And I I may just, you know, I may have to have you guys come on to the show. I like it. We we can do a little flip. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be great. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Rhonda. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Rhonda, how fun was that? Oh my gosh, that was great. <laughs> we had no idea what was going to happen, like we said in the intro. Um, yeah. And what an awesome conversation. I'm a, I have a new obsession, and it's Rhonda Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I can give our, our loyal listeners a good... Mm. Yeah. Yes. Eat that the, cheeseburger. <laughs> one of the things that I think has been so fun about these conversations that we've been having is you know some some folks we've interviewed have had more exposure to our work and what we do others haven't had much at all but it's always fun to hear the themes of our work pop up in what they're talking about and and you know mm-hmm. everyone has their own language and might frame it in their own particular way but there there is the this um, you know, in in uh, clinical and counseling psychology, we talk about common factors. Sort of yeah. what are the what are the common factors in in the relationship between 
clinician and, and client that drive change, you can kind of hear the common factors in these conversations. You totally can. One of them was, I don't quite have the words or, or the precise label for the, this factor, but this idea that I have the opportunity to grow until my very last breath that this I've never arrived. Yeah. And Dan Gilbert talks about that idea. He's a, I'm going to get this wrong, but Harvard social psychologist, I think, but we as humans are really not all that great by default at, at understanding how much we change. We overvalue past change and we undervalue future change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we also overestimate how much our preferences today will impact or will be our preferences in 10 years. And actually what Gilbert's research is, is our just humans, our change just of what's important, what we value, what we prefer, what we like. We, we change so much over time particularly in like 10 year blocks. And I think what Rhonda was getting at, she, she in her way was embracing the truth of how much we change and seeing it from what a gift it is, what a gift it is to keep growing. And all this change is good and I can grow in it. What comes really up liked for me- it. Well, what comes up from me as I'm listening to you there is sort of the, you know, my, my mind always goes to well, what gets in the way of us yeah. embracing the change, knowing that it's going to be there, all this stuff. Yep. And I think it's, it's, it's in, in part sort of this pull for certainty. Yeah. Right? We, we kind of, to varying degrees, of course, mine's usually on the lower end, but <laughs> to have some need of certainty to know. Mm-hmm. And even in that context of sort of changing and growing and evolving and learning, I think certainty comes in there in that, well, we want to be certain that we, we know it and that yeah. okay, I got it now. Yep. And it, it, it sort of, you know, fits in with significance and purpose too, because there, there's, there's this, thing and we talked about it way back season one probably episode two or three around we tend to externalize where to find our groundedness right well if i just get that next promotion then i'll have more moments of groundedness yep if i just get that house mm -hmm. just get that car uh, yeah. those things and that to me that fits with this idea of 
Big time. I'm not a work in progress. I have arrived. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing you say is there's sort of a, a, a relationship to the pull mm-hmm. to say, I'm not a work in progress. I have arrived. If that pull is really strong, the pull to say that this external thing will give me this security or will give me this sense of groundedness, that pull is also strong. Because I I, I wonder if right the, both are an externalizing. Yeah. The, the... And, and when we are able to look internally at ourself and yeah. explore ourself and even the messy parts, when when we look when we do that safely, we can actually develop an internal secu- certainty of our security yes. of who I am as a person. Thank you. You said that much better. And well, you know, they say every <laughs> even a blind squirrel what? catches a fish every now what? and then. Isn't that right? I don't think that's. A blind squirrel catches a fish? <laughs> I don't think squirrels... Go- I have a lot of squirrels in my yard. So I don't think Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. That that I like. That makes sense. Yeah. Everyone Even a blind eagle catches a fish. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's good. that's good. Yeah, but I think when people figure that out, right, that who I am gets to be here who i am gets to participate and who i am is unconditionally worthy it's not of, contingent of of love and mm-hmm. i'm unconditionally worthy of it and you can sense and see when when a person has internalized that truth they're able to carry it forward into how they are yeah. and into what they are what they see and what they're paying attention to. Well, and I think in in part the comment you had made in the intro about how we already feel like we know Rhonda fairly well. Mm. I think yeah. that's probably a common experience for people around her. Now, she's human, of course, so it's not that every moment she's grounded in that truth, but probably fairly often. Mm-hmm. She's had that realization. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I I also brought up another word here that that you were we had talked about with her, and it's the L word. Yeah, Let that L. that controversial word, love. I was really struck when how she kind of framed that a little bit around the idea of you know most organizations, most businesses, you know, their, their objectives, their goals, their outcomes are usually pretty clear, you know, Mm -hmm. and particularly around kind of moving the dial on, you know, retention, engagement, those kind of people metrics, Mm -hmm. the goals are usually pretty clear, but all the things we often try to do don't, don't move the dial. They don't get us there. Right. 
and I think she referred to it as yeah. the gap between what we want to achieve and doing what we actually know works <laughs> is pretty profound. That really struck me. Mm. Cause the thing that we know works is loving people. We know it works. Right. Because we all have responded to it when we've received it. We respond. It's really something. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I, I'm actually forgetting in this moment. Um, so my apologies, if, but did, did in our conversation, I don't think we talked about sort of how we define love with Rhonda. I don't think we got too far into it. Do you want to just mention that? Sure. Round that out maybe. Yeah. And it ties to our statement of a normal person. The only definition of normal that anyone ever has to accept. And I mean, has to. Right. <laughs> uh, normal person worthy of love and belonging because you exist. Right. And love is unconditional positive regard, is, is receiving or giving love, is giving unconditional positive regard. No strings attached. So it's really offering that, what we call the unequivocal truth, that you're worthy of love and belonging because you exist. It's really offering that to someone yep. is the yep. act of love. Yep. And... I may not understand why someone is doing what they're doing, why they might like what they like, why I, I might I don't have to understand everything. Yeah. To say you have a right to receive this from me. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we started using that word with organizations we were consulting with many, many years ago, um, quite a bit of pushback about how inappropriate that was to use that word, um, which we don't agree with. Um, and, you know, we often think things are inappropriate if they make us uncomfortable, but discomfort is necessary as we know. I think that, that reaction though, mm -hmm fits right in and this is how subtle it is right mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable I, I maybe i don't understand this mm -hmm. which is wonderful because it leads me right to the opportunity for curiosity yeah I, I don't understand it if i stay curious that person gets to let their truth explain and exist and be present but so often we reach that important precipice of of discomfort and maybe don't really know and instead of staying curious we label it something that sounds benign like inappropriate yeah but well, that's I, certainty all of a sudden not appropriate get it out and, and i think the pushback from a lot of leaders or people in power whatever you know manager supervisor whatever label you want to put on it if if someone isn't performing well, yeah, right. The last thing they yeah. want to hear is, "Well, maybe start by loving this person." Yeah, because <laughs> but, I'm mad at them. 
But the reality <laughs> they there. They want to stay mad at him. Right. The, the reality there is it's, it's not to say this isn't, a, this isn't about approving or disapproving of behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. This is by starting with a foundation of, no, you're worthy of love and belonging simply because you exist in the world. Yeah. If we have that foundation, the likelihood that we can actually get to, okay, what's getting in the way that this person isn't able to perform in the way that we need yeah. them to. Right? Yeah. I, I'm going to give you that love because I want you to be successful. And that might mean I need to redirect how you're doing some things, but that doesn't mean that I, I think you're a bad person who isn't worthy right. of having a sense of belonging. Right. It can be difficult to tease that out. We got to listen to a a beautiful example of that yesterday. You and I did. And I'm going to out my (laughs) 10-year-old. Oh, (laughs) He's going to be so mad. But so we're quarantined and all this. And so distance learning and it's a mess. Yeah. She decided, unbeknownst to anyone... In her family, that she wouldn't be going attending Zoom sessions for two days. I mean, I have to say, I can't blame her. And right, and (laughs) you know, she knew in her heart it was just not the right thing. And her teacher called Aubrey, and Aubrey got the notice, and so called Ivy and said, Ivy you need to get on to zoom to meet with your teacher. (laughs) And it's like for this 10 year old, you know, it's like call, like I couldn't even imagine she's called into the principal's office, zoom style confess right there, you know, Terrifying. terrifying. And her teacher comes on and says, kiddo, are you okay? Yeah. It was really something. I want to make sure that, I can help you and we care about you and we've missed you for two days and we've got some work to, to, to make up and yep. we're a little bit behind and I don't want you to get further behind and we're going to do this. Yep. And, and, and she said, if I were, if I were with you, I'd give you a big hug right now. Mm. And I think, and this is the part I think where a lot of leaders can learn a lot from teachers like yeah. she also said, and these are the things we really need you to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really care about you. That's why we're having this conversation. It, it was like, we, we were sitting in the other room, you and I, yeah, we were, working on things. We were like listening <laughs> and, but it's like, it was just a, a jaw dropping. It was really something. She just transformed back into her best self. Yeah. And her teacher helped her. Well, in our mom, put herself back together. She remembered her right there with her so that she could hold herself accountable to what she needed to do. It was really something to, to behold. Mm -hmm. It really was. Cause there was, there was no doubt in your mind that she loved her. No, and was right. offering no that. Doubt. And that was, I'm certain, Ivy's experience. 
which allowed her to get back to grounding and Mm -hmm. know that who she was as a person was okay. Therefore, okay, now I can get back to doing what I need to do. And and her her own conscience was her biggest consequence. Yeah. And, And quite frankly, the only one she really needed. Any now it's get the work done. But I love what you said. There was no punishment necessary to drive home the point that coming to class and getting your work done matters. That that is such an important point that I I forget about quite often, and we probably need to reinforce more often, which is everyone could probably do well to remind themselves that most people you know, within a couple standard deviations are beating themselves up enough to your, to what you said there, like their own conscious conscientiousness is, Mm. is being hard enough on them. We probably don't need to pile on. If we do what we teach the, the, them neurologically is to be, Vigilant to a further threat. And it gets the brain off of the the work, the learning. Right. The the growing. It's always, if, if there's one takeaway, and I really heard this from Rhonda, it's always separating mm-hmm. sort of who the person is yeah. from sort of the behavior. Yeah. Behavior is from Stuff my perspective. We do. It's, it's always moldable. It's always, <laughs> yeah. you can always fix it. You can always redirect it. Uh, whatever sort of bad verbs, more any more bad verbs you can use that I'm using here. But yeah, where we get stuck, both as the person who maybe needs to do things differently or as the person who's responsible for helping that person do things differently, is we, we obsess about the character right? If it's our behavior that we need to adjust, I'm a bad person. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I have no business even trying, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. when as a leader with more power, when we focus on assuming they don't want to do well, Mm -hmm. assuming they, you know, think of the stuff we tell ourselves, well, they they don't, they don't even want to do this well. Well, yeah. No, that, but that reinforces the negative message that the person is already telling themselves. Right? Yeah. There's no chance this is going to get better if that's yep. the cycle we get stuck in. Mm-hmm. And I can't say this enough. It's not to say to excuse, well, no, you don't have to do your best. That's okay. No, that's not the point. When you actually do deserve to do your best. Right. Do you want accountability or do you want threat avoidance? You can choose. Yeah. You can choose. That's good. And if you don't bring unconditional positive regard, you've, you, you're, you've chosen. You've chosen. Well, this was a pleasure mm-hmm. um, to, to speak with Rhonda. We, we look forward to staying in touch with her. Yeah. Um, gem. And gem. Uh, more interesting unpredictable conversations coming to your feeds you know it's 2021 now and so everything's fine now yeah 
<laughs> Isn't that what was supposed to happen? 2020 is over, so everything's magically perfect. Um, no, obviously, but there's lots of challenges, and but we're making some headway. Um, and uh, one of the things that we are excited about is we're uh, registration for 2021, a deeper way certification is rolling along. And so if you are interested mm. in that, in kind of joining our efforts to take the work to a deeper level, mm. we'd love to have you join those efforts. You can learn more about that at a deeper way.com. Lots of exciting stuff coming from us in 2021. So maybe we'll just leave that as a teaser mm. out there and uh, encourage you to make sure you're following us on the socials. Um, Going to be some fun stuff coming. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, we'll talk to you. Bye. Bye.